Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Well, is everybody having a good week? Good weekend? Praise God. If you're not, God bless you and help you. You know, we all have struggles sometimes, and when, uh, when that happens, it's tough. But God is faithful. But we were given a beautiful weekend, and uh, yesterday we did a, a huge project at our house. We had the best apple harvest that we've had in years, and Jim and Connie gave us four apple trees and two pear trees when we moved into our house as a housewarming gift, like, thank you, 14 years ago. <laughs> but who's counting? And uh, the harvest was great this year, and so we had a pressing yesterday, a cider pressing. And boy, I'll tell you what, at least I was super sore by the end of that. <laughs> well, so we want to jump into some great questions. We start with why and then how. You know, these are such important questions because for thousands of people, uh, years, people have been picking up the Bible and being changed as they encounter God in it. Uh, but maybe we should start with an even simpler question, which is, what is the Bible? The word Bible means library, all right? Ancient Greek word. The Bible is a library of books about God. It contains 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. There are actually thousands of books which have been written about God. What makes the library of books in the Bible unique is that God himself is their author. Peter describes the authorship of Scripture like this. In this second Peter, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you see that what makes the Bible different is the books in the Bible have as their ultimate author God himself. So Paul describes God's authorship like this in, in the passage we just heard from 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is God-breathed. God's the source, the ultimate author, the inspiration behind the books. Paul continues with some of its purpose. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, he actually says more to Timothy in that passage. We'll get back to it a little bit later. The Old Testament is a collection of books by the prophets of Israel, beginning with Moses. And it describes God's work to begin making a people for himself out of all the lost and darkened people of the world, beginning from the line of Abraham. So, of course, it traces back to the creation account and and things in the early history of humanity, but then the focus quickly narrows in on Abraham and his descendants as God is making a people for himself out of all the people of the earth who are estranged from him. 
making a people and not just one people for himself, but through that people, then to go on to save the rest of the world. So that's the Old Testament. And it contains hundreds of prophecies and promises pointing to a coming Savior, that is the Messiah and Son of God, Jesus. The New Testament is a collection of books by Jesus' apostles and companions about Jesus himself. The leaders of the Jewish people made a collection of the works of all the Old Testament prophets in the centuries after the return from exile in Babylon. They came back from Babylon around 517 B.C., and very quickly, the people of God moved to protect all the ancient prophetic writings and to collect them together into their own sacred scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. The discovery of the old Dead Sea Scrolls beginning in 1948 has dramatically shown how well-preserved and carefully passed on all those Old Testament books were. The scrolls found in those caves, and you know, they keep finding them even today. New caves, or caves that they dug further into, and they find new fragments. And they contain fragments of all but one of the Old Testament books. Actually, the book of Esther, which was written after the exile started to return back to the land of Judea. By the time of Jesus, no new prophets had appeared for hundreds of years, and the Old Testament scripture was considered closed by the Jewish community. Jesus himself recognized the authority of the Old Testament, saying, the scripture cannot be broken. He recognized its words were divinely inspired, though incomplete. He said, I came to fulfill, in other words, to complete the law, completed in himself. Which brings us to the creation of the New Testament. Justin Martyr, who was a, a Christian defender of the faith, who lived in Palestine around 150, writing around 150 AD, so um, less, uh, only about 100, less than 100 years after the apostles had died, called the apostles Jesus' secretaries and eyewitnesses. In other words, they were there to see what he did and to write it down. Secretaries accompanying their master. They included the 11 of Jesus' inner circle and Paul, whom Jesus chose to be an apostle later after his resurrection. So the authority of the apostles is actually the authority of Jesus himself. And John describes that in the Gospel of John, verses, uh, chapters 15 to 17, Jesus equipping his apostles to be the ones who would remember everything he taught him by the power of the Holy Spirit and pass it on to everybody else. And so they served as his secretaries and eyewitnesses. And the New Testament is the collection of their writings, along with a few of their companions like Mark, who accompanied Peter, and Luke, who accompanied Paul. The New Testament books were carefully preserved by early church leaders who quoted extensively from them in their own writings, also providing lists of books of those originals. Because already within 100 or 200 years of the death of the apostles, there were fake apostles coming on the scene saying, hey, we've got a gospel. It's different from the one you find in those books, but it was written by one of them. And those lists and the quotes from 
the uh, actual original secretaries help us figure out that those are false gospels. They're phony. And we know they're phony partly because they have ideas that didn't even show up until the apostles were almost all dead. So they couldn't have been written by them. There are thousands of ancient manuscript copies of those books. And by comparing what we have today with those ancient copies and the quotes from the early church leaders who wrote about them, who wrote within one or two generations of the apostles, we can verify with a very high degree of certainty that the New Testament books were really written by Jesus' apostles and their companions. So the historical reliability of the Bible is unmatched among ancient texts. So that brings us to the question, why should I read it? Together, the two parts of the Bible reveal the purposes and the will of God to bring all human beings into relationship with himself, including you. His plans to save the world. Paul said to Timothy, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's why we read the Bible to become wise for salvation. If you want to get to know God, the best and most reliable place to start is by reading the books he caused to be written about himself. And those are collected in this book. When you read the Bible, you're reading the thoughts and the purposes of God. The scripture teaches and rebukes, corrects and trains us in righteousness so that we can be effective and equipped for the good works God has planned for us and called us to. You can get to know Jesus, both who he is and what is his teaching, by studying his word. His promise in John 8, 31 and 32, he said to the folks who had believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, when he said that to them, they didn't even really comprehend what kind of freedom he was talking about. He was talking about freedom from sin, freedom to live in the fullness of good life and goodness and righteousness that God has for us. If you hold to my teaching. So how can you hold to his teaching except by studying it? All right, that's the only way you can even figure out what his teaching is, is to study it. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. The writer of, uh, of the scripture says, if you want to grow in your faith, yet to have a life that's grounded in faith and bound for eternity, there's no better place to start to build your faith than by studying and listening to the word of God and putting it into practice. So when Jesus says, hold to my teaching, he doesn't just mean, okay, you remembered it and memorized it, he means you're holding to it, putting it into practice. And that brings us to the question, how should I read it? Now, there's a joke about um, a guy who's trying to figure out the will of God. And, and he thought, you know what? I'm just going to put a pen in it to figure out what the will of God is. And he put a pen in and he opened it up. And he opened it right up to the gospel passage where it says, and Judas went out and hanged himself. <laughs> Maybe you've heard this one. And, and he said, oh, I can't be right. And so he closed the Bible again. He got a pen and, and he stuck it in. 
And this time he opened it up and it said, go and do likewise. <laughs> now, now, obviously he was reading the Bible the wrong way, right? <laughs> there are a bunch of different parts and, and types of literature in the Bible, and each one calls for its own way of reading it. There's history in it. There's poetry in it. There's wisdom literature in it. There's legal stuff, laws about what's the right way and the wrong way to live. There's gospel in it. And gospel is a word that in its original meaning simply means good news. It's the gospel. And when we talk about the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one is like the subtitle, the good news about Jesus Christ. And if you read those four gospels, you see that it's not just a collection of moral teaching. Most of what Jesus said is, is actually not unique to him. He echoes and repeats moral teaching in the Old Testament, and, and that's found actually in some of the other religions of the world, recognizing how people should live to have the best life. But what the Gospels really focus on is the completion of his mission, which was to come and die for us as the Son of God, to go to the cross, take our place in sin and death, conquer death and raise us with him into new life, reconnected to God. So the heart of the good news about Jesus Christ is not just a son, another set of moral teachings, as brilliant as they are, but Jesus himself, the good news of Jesus Christ himself. And so when we go to the Bible, we're looking for that good news. How to read it? Get a good translation. You know, I know that there are folks who are, are still think the King James Version is the very best one that you can read. And, and it's unmatched for poetry when you think about it. The, we still say, the Lord is my shepherd, the 23rd Psalm, often many of us by quoting the King James Version. But there are all kinds of words in the King James Version that we don't use anymore. And frankly, none of us have any idea what they mean, or most of us anyway. Do you know what lascivious means? How about concupiscence? <laughs> and I could keep going, right? There's just lots and lots of words that we just don't use in English anymore. And it's the very reason people keep retranslating the Bible into the latest version of English, because language keeps changing. And so how we say something today is different than how they said it when the King James Bible was translated. You can't really, most of us, when we listen to Shakespeare, which is around the same era, we miss a lot of what he's saying unless it's translated into a modern version. So also, with the Bible, get a version of the Bible you can understand. And not all translations are the same. You, you want to watch out for some translations that are bad. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses have a translation of the Bible that was written by a man who claimed to be a Greek scholar, but was not. And he mistranslated some key adjectives and pieces of grammar about Jesus that make his gospel flawed and erroneous, especially about Jesus himself. Uh, and so you don't want to put your trust in a version of the Bible that was not translated by a whole bunch of scholars who really know the languages and can test each other, that they're accurately passing it on. You want one that you can understand that's modern, that's in a language you can understand. 
you want to probably begin with the story of Jesus. Now, the whole Old Testament points to him. And as you start to study the Old Testament, you find those pointers. As you're reading along, the prophecies that talk about the Messianic king who's coming, about the suffering servant who's coming, about where he'll be born, and out of whose line he's going to come, the line of David, and all those different things. And, and what he's going to do, the work he's going to accomplish. He'll be like a refiner's fire and a fuller soap, working to purify us. You find that in the Old Testament. Pointing to the new. But start with the new because you're starting with Jesus. And he's the end goal of it. When you're reading it, read it systematically. Now, you don't have to read the whole Bible in one go. That, you know what? You won't be able to. Not unless you took Evelyn Woodhead's speed reading course. <laughs> uh, or to quote Cheech and Chong, sped reading course. Does anybody get that? Okay, one or two. <laughs> uh, you read it in the chunks that you can manage. You know, when I first started to read it, I read one chapter a day. Like in earnest in my 20s. And I would chew on that chapter. And then as time went on, I added to that. So add what you can, what's manageable for you. But spend time with God daily studying his word, and you'll grow in knowledge of him. Uh, think of it like this. When you first started to learn math, what did you do? You learned 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? And then maybe you got to 2 times 2. Oh, it's still 4. Wow. And then you moved on, right? You went to geometry and trigonometry. And if you were math-minded, you went on to calculus. And, and, and if you had to go into engineering, then you did even more of that, right? So you built on what you had to begin, and you built systematically. If you'd shown a, a second grader learning 2 plus 2 equals 4, um, calculus that you don't get until high school, their eyes would have glazed over. And they would have said, you're speaking Chinese. I have no idea what you're talking about here. Well, the Bible in some ways is like that. You build systematically on what you learn, and you keep growing in faith. The, the study of Scripture, as Paul said to Timothy, is able to make you wise for salvation, but it's not instant. It gives you bits and pieces of wisdom at a time as you study it so that you can grow in that. Ask for help if you don't understand something you're reading. Ask God. I already quoted, and we heard from Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes, Lord, so that I can see wonders in your law. That's a prayer. A prayer that you can imitate too. And there's been many times when I've come across a passage in the Bible I didn't understand. I just didn't get it. Or it seemed like, eh, and I ask God, what does that mean? Or what's going on here? And you know, so often he's let that answer become clear to me. Maybe not right away. Maybe I had to keep studying. In fact, that's, uh, in fact, that's another piece of advice Paul gave Timothy. Study to show yourself approved. Keep studying. Don't give up on it. Don't think, oh, I've arrived. I know all about Jesus that I need to know. <laughs> well, Jesus is the infinite immortal being. And you're not. Do you think you're ever going to be able to? 
grasp everything about him that you need to know in this lifetime, much less the next? Uh, it's a little bit rhetorical question. <laughs> There's a lot about God, about Jesus to know. We're always going to be finding out more. Even in eternity, when we know as we're known and we know fully, God is going to be such, an, uh, you know, hugely more than we can ask or imagine that we'll be learning about him and his amazing love and, and being for the rest of eternity. So, so also in Bible study here, keep going, keep plugging away at it. Don't give up. It's also like daily bread. You know, you, do you remember the daily bread you ate a week ago? No, but if you didn't eat it, you'd remember being hungry, right? And the, the word of God is bread. It's like daily bread, and you need to eat that bread every day to stay healthy in the spirit. And if you don't eat it, pretty soon your spirit is going to be hungry and perhaps even starved. And that's not what God wants you. Now, of course, this brings us back um, a, a couple of other things I want to say before I, I kind of bring it home on Jesus himself. If you need help understanding something, ask others. It can really be a blessing to be part of a Bible study group where you can um, study a, a, a book together, and if you've got questions, ask each other and consult references and do research together and, and help each other understand. You know, that's, a, there, that's an important part of faith development is being able to get help from others about what things mean when they're hard to understand. So join a Bible study group. Read it humbly. You know, there's a difference between what it says and your interpretation of what it says. And sometimes our interpretations can be pretty bad. Or they can be the interpretations that Paul talks about when he says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. Reason like a child, talk like a child. In faith, it's the same way. There's times when we have a child-like, and later we think, mm, that was not a big enough picture of what that passage meant. Maybe it's what I could understand then, but God meant more. That's one of the amazing things about the Scripture. God keeps speaking to us through it, and He sometimes illuminates things you didn't see the last time you read it as you grow in Him. And so ask Him to keep growing you in that faith and test your interpretation. Our interpretations, again, we got to be humble about them and recognize my interpretation, what I think it means, is not the same as the word itself. And I could be wrong. I've had that happen to me where I was so sure I understood a certain passage and I was advocating that strongly. And then I read some more about it and got more information, a bigger picture of it. And it helped me see, oh, my interpretation was probably a little weak there. I got to be humble about how strongly I advocate for my interpretation versus how strongly I advocate for Jesus and for his word. And you should test my interpretation, even when I'm preaching. If you're studying the Bible, you'll know if I say something that's off. You'll be able to say, eh, pastor, that's not quite what it said. And really, that's part of your own spiritual responsibility too. Now, it's mine to give you the truth. I'll have to give an account for that. But it's yours to test it. Okay? So don't give up on that. Don't just go like a lamb to the slaughter. Not that I'm trying to lead you there. 
But there are people out there who will. There are wolves who will give you false interpretations and false understandings in order to lead you to the slaughter. And you won't know the difference between the wolf and the good shepherd and his teaching until you've listened to the good shepherd and you learn to recognize his voice. And then you'll run away from the wolves, recognizing them for what they are. Which really brings me to the good shepherd himself. As, as I bring this, I mean, there's what? We could go on and on about this. There's wonderful things to say about the word, but what can you fit in this time? I want to bring us back to Jesus himself. The Bible says he is the word of God. He's the living word, the source of the written word, but also the one to whom the living word points. And John 5, 39, he, he had a kind of a rebuke for the people who were resisting him. He said, I have testimony, or testimony weightier than that of John. They're referring to John the Baptist. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The scriptures testify about Jesus. He's the one that has life. The Bible is not what saves us. Jesus is the one who saves us. It's not what you know that gets you into heaven or into right relationship with God. It's Jesus who you know who gets you into heaven and brings you into right relationship with God. Now, the scripture has a place in that. It is able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus so that you can understand it. But it's not a substitute for Jesus himself. It's what points to him. So remember that when you're studying the scripture. Just this book alone, you can't come to the heaven and say, God, I remember the book. I read it. You got to let me in. <laughs> it's when you get there, you're going to say, I already know you, God, because I've been walking with Jesus. And I figured out who he was by studying your word. And I decided to give my life to him and follow him. And I know him. And through him, I know you. So, hey, Dad, I'm home. Okay? So I want you to get that. It's super important when we come to the Bible, not to mistake it for Jesus himself, although his, it's filled with his words. So I don't want to downplay that either. I have a very high view of the Scripture. But I know that the words alone, Scripture just by itself, can be like a sword that kills the Spirit gives life. The Spirit opens our eyes to what it means and opens our eyes to Jesus, whose own life in us helps us to want to keep His Word when we do study it. So these are things, why, what the Bible is, why we should read it, and how we should read it. And put that into practice as individuals, members of His body, so that you too can be wise for salvation and then we can live it out. And uh, 
That's what I have to say. So let's bow in prayer. We'll take a little time of prayer now after the message as well. If you have uh, anything in your life that you want to come to the altar and present to the Lord, um, any need or any burden or any uh, intercession for someone else, any petition you want to lift. And uh, let's just ask him to open our eyes to the wonders of his word. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.